0: one minute i think wow she's so clever and manipulative i'm terrified to. that's just makes no sense it's crazy like that's that's only going to damage you what why on earth would you do that so and that's what made it scary though um because it was so clever but so juvenile at the same time if that makes sense
1: Welcome to today's podcast episode. It's a conversation with victim survivor, journalist, and author Nicole Madigan. Nicole and I are speaking about her book, Obsession, which is all about power, fixation and control and explores the different types of stalking and how stalking can impact victim survivors. And Nicole would know because she is one. Nicole talks with me about her experience of being stalked for over three years. Three years is such a long period of time to know that there is someone out there who is fixating, obsessing and actively trying to cause you psychological harm and not knowing whether or not that psychological and emotional harm is going to spill over into physical harm. During our conversation, we do touch a little bit on domestic violence, just in the way that it does relate to stalking. I wanted to just mention that up top in case this is going to be a triggering conversation for you. Make sure you do take care of yourself and listener discretion is always advised. I really, really enjoyed speaking with Nicole. It's really impressive to speak with someone who is just so determined That was one of my big takeaways from my conversation with Nicole. She went through so much stuff, but was so determined to actually get an outcome that made her feel like she was actually back in control. Nicole acknowledges her privilege in terms of actually having the ability and the resources to pursue this and to get an outcome for herself. And that's really important. Not everyone has the resources, the time, the energy, the wherewithal and the knowledge and the good fortune to come across the right kind of help to make things, you know, feel like they're back within your realm of control again. It's certainly not everyone's experience and not everyone will experience this level of stalking, thank goodness, but the way that Nicole shares her story is really relatable because it all kicks off with a very, very unremarkable exchange at a party for a children's sporting team. I'll let Nicole share more about her story. She does a wonderful job. I really, really enjoyed speaking with Nicole and I really, really loved reading her book, Obsession. I'm going to pass my copy of Obsession on to one of you, to one of the listeners. Jump on over and leave a comment after you've listened to today's podcast episode, and I'll just randomly choose someone who comments. It'll all just be a timing thing, whatever time I pick up my phone and see that someone has commented, and I will send you my copy of Obsession. It'll be in the mail for you. I loved reading it. I found it really hard to put it down. Nicole's a wonderful, uh, wonderful author really, really great. She explores the different kinds of stalking. Um, It's an eye-opening read for sure. All right, without further waffling on from yours truly, let's get into my conversation with Nicole Madigan. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members, in that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Nicole, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to have this chat with me. Thank you for having me. As I was saying to you before I hit record, I picked your book up recently And I found it really hard to put it down. It's so well-written and it just takes you on this wild ride. Thank you. Thanks. And that wild ride that I'm referring to is entering the land of stalking. Yeah. Now, before writing this book, what did stalking mean to you?
0: Stalking was something, I guess... I only used the same way most people use it in a bit of a just a funny kind of light-hearted way. I mean, I think these days or since the internet and social media has kind of taken over our lives, we talk about stalking as just researching somebody or, or checking them out or following what they're doing and, and that sort of thing. Um, the other thing is movies, I guess, and that kind of sitters to stalk in where there's someone lurking around outside your house or Turning up at your workplace, or, or you know, your classics like fatal attraction and and that kind of really sensationalized view of stalking. So I, I certainly never associated it with um, something that would happen to me, or in fact, something that was happening to me.
1: And in your story in particular, it's not as though you had this very clear moment where it was like, oh my goodness, I think maybe I have got my own stalker. It was really a series of kind of strange occurrences, would you say?
0: Yeah. I mean, it it was all online, as you know, and it it manifested over, well, well it happened quite rapidly and quickly, but it, but it escalated over about three years, a little bit longer. And look, it wasn't until um, the a police officer labeled it as stalking, that I would have probably given it that name. I mean, I knew something was off and, you know, maybe I would have called it har- harassment or I didn't really know. Look, to be honest, um, I just knew that it was causing me a lot of stress and a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and and all of those feelings. Um, but I hadn't put that label on it. And And since hearing a police officer put that label on it, I started the research being a journalist. I just wanted to know more. And it's incredible how common it is. I'd
1: love to take you back to that very first interaction you had with your stalker.
0: Yeah, so my the very first interaction I had with her, and in, in actual fact, the only in-person interaction I had with her um, was about a year before the actual stalking started. And I was at a kid's footy kind of off-season catch-up, um, And just making small talk with the other parents, as you kind of do. But we were all in the same sort of little spot. Adam, who's my husband, was there, but I didn't know him all that well at the time. He was just one of the dads back then. Um, And there was another woman there with a couple of kids, but she wasn't anywhere near our group. She was just sitting off to the side. But it was sort of noticeable because she was the only other person there at this sort of apartment block um, pool area. And she was sitting off by herself. And at that time I was going through kind of the process of my own separation and all that kind of stress and ugliness that comes with that. So I was off in my own little world really and I was taking some photos of the kids while they were playing cricket, just killing some time really and scrolling through them just so I didn't really have to talk to anybody. And I heard someone say, oh, are you taking photos of Adam? And I kind of looked up because I had my phone in my hand And that woman that I referred to had just walked straight past me and I wasn't quite sure if she was talking to me, but I said, oh, I'm just taking photos of my son. But she didn't answer me. She just kept walking. And um, I looked to the woman next to me as if to say, like, did you hear that or do you know what that was about? And she kind of just gave me a funny look, like raised her eyebrows. And that was it. I kind of just forgot about it. Um, Until that night, she sent me this random message request saying, oh, I'm so sorry about that what I said today I didn't mean anything by it I was just like seeing if you were taking photos for the footy club so I just thought bit weird I'm a bit exhausted and I just shot back a message okay you know no worries I'll see you next time and that was it.
1: I imagine if I was in your shoes, I probably would have thought, oh, perhaps she's just a bit socially awkward. She sat to the side. She didn't really stop to talk to me. She's now sent me this follow-up message where she's kind of overthinking her comment. I certainly wouldn't go to like immediately thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be someone who is kind of unhinged and going to really stress me out and cause me trauma
0: over the next couple of years. Absolutely. Exactly right. I I just thought a little bit, a bit strange. Um, but she obviously, in my mind, I thought, oh, she obviously knows Adam, and she's part of the group. So yeah, like l- as you say, it was just a weird comment, and I'll just put it down as that, and I just forgot about it.
1: And that's something I wanted to ask. So was she there because she was stalking Adam at that point in time? Like, had she kind of followed his whereabouts and was trying to inso- insert herself? In social gatherings that he was part of, or was she part of the football club?
0: So yeah, that's a that's a good question. And we we spoke about this a lot, Adam and I, because so at that stage they had, you know, not that long kind of ceased the the dating aspect of their relationship. Um, and were in that trying to stay friends category, I guess. And and she was sort of very proactively trying to stay friends. Um, But that for for reasons that were not quite as intense as what happened to me, but that sort of um, unhealthy behavior, it soon became evident that being friends was just not a good idea.
1: Yeah. And that was another thing I was wondering about as I was reading your book and just, you know, taking in your story and the experiences, I found myself wondering when Adam had known this woman, and in the book, you call her Carissa, which is not Mm -hmm. her. But when Adam had known Carissa, was he aware that she was, and I don't want to use the word unhinged, but that is the word that keeps coming to mind. Was he mindful of like certain behaviors and did he ever find himself thinking, okay, I need to kind of end this now because something is definitely not quite right here?
0: Yeah, yes. And, and it's those sort of really, you know, unhealthy or unhinged, you know, whichever you want to say, um, behaviours that um, led to him to realise, oh, this is not, you know, you, you start to date someone and you get to know them and then you either keep it going or you think, no, this is not for me. And, that, and that's what happened there. Um obviously things escalated to a to a point that he could not have predicted however uh, he did say that he did have some concerns in those few months as he was trying to pull himself away because she did have a lot of those big moments and big threatening moments of you know making him sort of pay for having done this or having left and and met a few of his friends of the couple that had come into contact with her sort of said similar things like you know he'd leave the room and she'd she'd be saying or doing things that caused them to feel alarmed. And so I guess in those months before, we you know, this is third-hand information obviously, second-hand information, um, before he and I got together, he was trying to diffuse that situation so that he didn't suffer the consequences later, I suppose. And
1: ironically, at that time, you and Adam were not romantically interested in one another to you know to your knowledge at that point in time as you said you were going through a separation I know what that's like your head is just a mess and you're just Mm. trying to get through each day but ironically Carissa reaching out to you with this kind of socially awkward message eventually prompted you to get in touch with Adam.
0: That exactly yeah so at that point um, I wouldn't have even called us friends you know we were loose acquaintances at best you know we did come across each other because of the kids playing football but we weren't sort of sitting there having long conversations or anything like that um but yeah a couple of weeks after that initial interaction I got a couple more messages from her just inquiring about whether I was married and really unusual questions and I was exhausted at that point I was going through a really difficult separation um she was using the terminology we Right? Like she was saying, we, we are
1: wondering if you're yes. married. Yes. Yeah, also yeah. in my mind, I was like, is she trying to make it sound like her and Adam are trying to figure out if you're married? You know, yes. is she trying yeah. to kind of go
0: for the wing woman approach just as an inroad? That's what it seemed like. It, it, that, that's what it seemed like to me. It was it was continuous we. And I, I was telling my – I was with my mum at one point when I was getting these messages. And I'm like, I wonder if – um. Adam knows, is this like, are they doing this together? Like we're wondering or we want to know. Like it's quite strange since I'm, you know, one of the kids' mums, it's very unusual to do this. And she was sort of, feeling for me at that point because I was going through a lot with my separation and she said look you don't need this on top of it why don't you just message him and ask him tell him that his girlfriend you know we didn't know who she was so we, we used that term tell him his girlfriend keeps sending you these messages and if he's involved in it can can he tell her to stop it's I've got enough on my plate so I just did that you know my mom told me to do it so I did um and I, I flipped him a message and." Yeah, he wrote that quite quickly um, to say that, you know, to apologise. Um, but as I said in the book, he, he sounded very embarrassed and humiliated but not totally shocked by the behaviour. So he sort of said, you know, this sort of behaviour is part of the reason that this person is no longer in my life and is blocked from my life and I'm really sorry and um, that sort of thing. So It rang through of just, for him. Yeah, yeah, um, but obviously it, it the the I hadn't given him all the details of what those messages were. I just sort of said, I'm getting these strange messages and do you know about it? And, Can you stop? And he's like, I don't know what they are, but I'm really and you know, for the behaviour. And so I sort of said to mum, like, oh, the poor guy, I didn't even know, like, it's his, it's his ex-girlfriend, like how embarrassing. I just thought it was a bit of a joke at that point. just kind of funny and um and as you say yeah a couple of weeks later he sent me a message to say look you know I just wanted to apologize again and just make sure you weren't still getting any of these messages and I said look no I haven't and I cracked a bit you know I did what I talk about in the book that is the wrong thing to do I cracked a bit of a bunny boiler joke and said you know as long as I don't have a bunny boiling in my kitchen it's all good we're square am it's fine um and from there, we just kind of started to back and forth and 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 message each other more and more often, and we just got to know each other that way. And um, we always said in the early days, you know, before that stalking started, we used to joke saying, you know, it makes me cringe now, saying, oh, stalking got us talking because we were calling what she did stalking in a kind of lighthearted way.
1: Yeah, in a way she actually ended up being your wing woman.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the irony of it. and. And that little episode that we called stalking in a really joking way, you know, ended up being just the tip of the iceberg, unfortunately, though.
1: And then your story progresses with Adam and you fall in love. And I really enjoyed reading about your love story in the book. It's a really beautiful thing to read. But whilst this beautiful relationship is unfurling in front of you, the stalking begins that 's when it really starts to escalate. the more that you and Adam do become closer and start to build a life together, this seems to really aggravate carissa and that 's when it starts to go from odd social, awkward interaction light hearted stalking goddess talking to actually this is becoming a real problem
0: that 's right, so you know after that initial interaction. I, I genuinely put it out of my mind. I, I sort of forgot about it. It wasn't something that impacted me in a really strong way. It was just something that happened. It was kind of weird and, and funny. And, and my focus was on, you know, this new experience I was having, you know, which was just so positive and, and so opposite to what I had been going through and still was going through, to be honest, as you probably know these things, they they last a really long time and, and, and cause a lot of trauma for a long time. So, you know, in a funny way, you know our our story together developed but he was also a real sense of um a real support for me during all those other things that I was going through with the separation and uh things like that um and I just forgot about Carissa and I guess we didn't sort of go kind of public with our relationship too early because you know we both had children and it's sensitive yeah that's right you know a lot was going on and it was just a, a private thing um but yeah, a few months down the track we were having a bit of a party at Adam's apartment for the footy grand final and we had our family over, the kids were over and it was one of those moments you might be able to relate to this that, that really was unremarkable probably to anyone else but for me it was it was monumental it just felt so normal, you know, it just felt so normal and and really blissful. And we had a great day and it was awesome and um Adam's not big on social media but he did post a few photos that night he's footy team one and he's like obsessed with afl and he put all these photos up and everyone left and we were packing up to go to bed and i got this message request um which was ultimately from her on a fake account just a whole string of really um sort of abusive vulgar messages in in just a stream to me and at that point I didn't even join the dots and think of her at that point in time. I was just kind of like saying it Adam look what I've got. I was just like in shock. Just who's this? Like what, what's happening? Like is it is this your ex-wife? <laughs> that was my first thought. I thought, geez, I hope not. Um, As you would be stuff.
1: and you would just have this – I imagine this monumental like come down to earth because as you said, you've just experienced that bliss and going through a divorce. You do just crave the normalcy of domestic bliss, those moments where everyone's happy for five minutes and everyone's fed and everyone's healthy. (laughs) And then to look down at your phone and be drawn into this, you know, tirade of abuse aimed Mm. at you and you don't even know who it is. Mm. Yeah, I I was really...
0: At that point, I wouldn't say I was scared, um, but I was really devastated because it was just so shocking to me, you know, that that it was I was just in shock and it was so foul and, and vulgar and and full of expletives and um profanities that I was just in shock. And um when I showed Adam, he sort of, you know assumed who it was quite quickly um, because I guess he hadn't really known anyone else who would be (laughs) you don't know that many people who would speak to somebody like that Um, and she continued to send quite a few messages to both of us that night all of the same kind of angry abusive nature and then to make matters worse and I guess the the thing that twisted this from really emotional to a little bit scary was I got a text message from my ex-husband later that night that said um, it just simply said Carissa says hi and, um, you know, we weren't at that point, we weren't at a point of conversing or we weren't in contact with each other at all. It was nasty. Yeah, it was still in that ugly phase Um, so that was sent for a purpose but it did tell me though that Carissa had knew who he was and had tracked him down, which she'd alluded to in her stream of text messages to me. Um, so that told me she had in fact done that and that freaked me out.
1: And for people who are listening, who haven't experienced this, it would be really easy for someone I think to go, oh, it's just words on a phone. It's just a text message from a stranger. Don't pay it any attention. But I know even when I've received awful messages from trolls, it does have a physiological response on you. Your heartbeat changes. You can feel sweaty, clammy, angry scared all of the things are happening to you physiologically it's a very real response that you go through
0: yeah it is and look um I mean and right from the beginning that happens like I I have to admit that as soon as that happened from that very night um my senses were up and I was being impacted heavily but I still did have that um logical yeah way of thinking which said you know it's, it's terrible, but just ignore it. And, and that's exactly what I did. I, I did ignore it. I blocked it. And what makes something go from horrible messages to stalking, I guess, is the frequency and the length of time and what unfolded over the next six months. And then there was a little break and then another couple of years was just a continuous stream of this and an escalation. So over the next few months after that day, she would message me frequently in strings, ding 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 for a few days in a row then there would be a break then another few in a day and then another break and I would block them I would ignore them she'd create new accounts usually in her own name so there was no attempt to hide herself or or do this sneakily so it wasn't even um th- there was nothing secretive about it she was just up front being abusive and harassing, and that's what I thought it was at that point. But even so, it was having a huge impact on me. I found the
1: fact that she didn't try and hide her identity to be really shocking and really scary because what it tells me is that, oh, she thinks that this is okay.
0: Exactly. Exactly right. And I think, you know, once I started researching for the book, I mean, that was my main that that was one of the main points that I wanted to get across is that there's not enough being done to prevent this kind of behavior. And that's evident in the way it's perpetrated. There is no attempt to hide it. And she's not the only one that does this. I mean, there's a lot of people, whether it's in a domestic violence context or outside of that, that engage in these behaviors with no attempt to conceal who they are. And in Carissa's case, not only was she sending messages to me in her own name, to my mum in her own name, to my ex-husband in her own name, uh, she progressed on to be- becoming quite public through Instagram posts, and these posts were extremely uh, distasteful, really vulgar, filled with sexually explicit content, bad language, and they were all just out in the open on a public account with her name and photo on it. So. When someone's brazen enough to do that, it is, it's is—it's quite scary.
1: It is, and brazen is, is definitely one word for it because when people are creating fake profiles, it kind of allows you, I think, to go, okay, they can at least separate. They want to separate this ugliness from themselves and go, mm. oh, that's not me. They want it to happen. They want to cause you pain, but mm. they don't actually want to integrate that with their identity. They can create this fake profile and use that. But in your case, Carissa was like, hey, I'm going to post a photo and use hashtags aimed at you. I'm going to tag you. Mm. Something I wanted to ask, when she was like peppering you with abusive messages, was that all done through social media or was it also with
0: your phone number? So in the beginning it was all Facebook. So for the first several months it was all Facebook and a few emails. Um Messenger Different Facebook Messenger accounts, some in most in her name, a couple in some other names. Um, at one point I called a police friend of ours because she had created a fake account in my name, so used my profile photo, used my name and sent herself messages, screenshotted them and then sent those to Adam to say, oh, look what she's sending me. <laughs> I mean, that's – it's. When when you're close with someone and you're showing each other the messages, it's very easy to disprove. So it was a strange thing to do, but it was the intent behind it that kind of scared me and I didn't know whether she might send these messages to anybody else as well, which she threatened to do. Um, so that's you know- when I called. Sorry to cut you off then. Mm.
1: In a way, the fact that she was creating this fake profile and then sending it to Adam to try and garner some sort of outrage from him at your behavior, it shows a very juvenile way of thinking because as you said, Adam and you can just pass one another your phone and go, my love, I've not sent this message. Have a look. It's a very stunted way of thinking. Throughout the times when she was peppering you and assaulting you, did you have any concerns I guess about her mental health or even sympathy or empathy going this person is obviously very sad
0: I yes and no okay no that's a
1: complicated question because when you're experiencing what she's doing to you it's inexcusable Mm.
0: and and look I know I know why you ask that and I am one of those people that basically feel sorry for everybody like um no matter what they do they can be being really terrible and and really nasty and at first you know I did sort of think okay especially when I would read the messages she sent to Adam which which varied from horrific expletive ridden abuse and threats to uh almost uh just grovelling um, sorrow, you know, and I sort of thought, oh, you know, that 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 is a grim way to be living, um, and that's not very good. But um, I was a stranger to her and had done nothing, and by that point, it wasn't just sort of it didn't strike me as the acts of a, a desperate, sad. Woman, although I'm sure she wa- was those things, um, but it was incredibly cruel um, to me, and there seemed to be a real, genuine interest in causing actual damage to my life, which, which changed the way I thought about it. It didn't seem to be just letting off steam. There seemed to be a definite attempt to to cause damage. So by by contacting my mum and sort of spreading lies about me. Um, you know I'm just very lucky that I'm I'm close with my mum so she was across it Um, so that didn't change her opinion of, of me or Adam Um, and I guess yes as you say it was a strange to be sending such contradictory messages to myself and then to Adam it was quite strange and that sort of thing was Continuous through the whole entire thing, where one minute I'd think, "Wow, she's so clever and manipulative." I'm terrified to. That's just makes no sense. It's crazy. Like that's that's only going to damage you. What? Why on earth would you do that? So, and that's what made it scary though, um, because it was so clever but so juvenile at the same time if that makes sense.
1: Makes complete sense. And in a way, even me asking that question about whether or not you had any sympathy for how sad and how deranged or how unhinged she is, in a way, that's such a uh, stereotypical question to ask a woman, isn't it, to be responsible Mm. for someone else's behaviour. And even during your book where you talk about your first interaction with a police officer and how your impulse was To minimize the situation because you don't want to make a fuss. You don't want to come across uh, like you're overreacting. And I think that's something that particularly women in our age bracket, we're kind of experiencing this awakening, I think, when we realize, oh my goodness, I've really been conditioned to stay quiet and stay compliant and amenable. And so when you're in this situation where your back is up against the wall and you need help, it's still our impulse to go, oh, is the other person okay? Or, oh, Mm -hmm. do I deserve these resources?
0: Exactly. And, and, you know, I ask myself often, you know, why, and I still don't really know the answer actually, why did I not just shoot back responses? Why didn't I just kind of fight fire with fire for for want of a better term? But I just didn't. I just didn't want to engage in it and I honestly thought, um, ignore ignore it and it will go away would sort of unfold and that she was obviously dealing with her intense way of processing something and she just eventually move on. move on yeah and and look when she made those fake accounts we called a police friend and and his suggestion to us was to not do anything formal but just send her an email if we had her email address which we did um and let her know that if this kind of behavior continues we would take legal action that was his suggestion um And we did that and then it went silent, radio silence for months and we just thought, oh, it was that simple. We should have just told her to leave us alone. Like it was, we were just, you know, and I said to Adam, you were right, you know, we should have said something because he was always like, well, like we have to do something and I just kept saying, no, she's just trying to get attention. We're not going to give her that attention. Let's just ignore it. Um, But, yeah, so it was quiet for a good um, five months Um, and then, I started getting text messages. So it, it moved on to text and they were from random numbers but just saying the same sorts of things, you know, the same attacks on my physical appearance and the same sort of things about, you know, Adam and me and all of that. Um, I called police for the second time at that point because I thought being mobile phones it would be easier to prove. So I called the police and did exactly what you said before I sort of fumbled with my words and and probably made it sound ridiculous because I am a grown woman talking about another grown woman um you know she's being mean to me is about a man you know like it, it it feels juvenile ridiculous yeah um but anyway and his response uh sort of solidified that feeling he was not rude or unpleasant but it was very, you know, pat on the head. We'll just let us know if anything terrible happens and, and keep a diary. But we can't, you know, go investigating firm companies for something like this. And, and then I just thought, I said to Adam, there's obviously nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. We just have to hope it goes away. But, you know, I was really, really... Um, I was sort of really heightened at that point because it had become so intense that first period and it had finally stopped and then it was back again and I was just thinking, I just don't want to do this again. Um, and then a couple of weeks after that I got tagged in that very first Instagram post um, and that's when everything became more public. So I had that extra layer of concern Um
2: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And throughout the book,
1: readers can actually take in some of the abuse that you were receiving. But it was a real mixture of like character assassination against you, assassination of your looks, and also accusations against your partner. Throughout that time, did you have moments of doubting what Adam was saying because there were some big accusations thrown your way?
0: Yeah, I've been asked that a couple of times and I can see why people ask me that. But I guess because we were sort of in it together the whole time and showing each other everything that was happening I, I didn't have those kind of strong doubts. I guess on top of that, a lot of the times and probably the vast majority of the times, and this is when I started to really try to analyse what is she trying to do here because initially I thought with those comments about Adam, she wants me to think he's he's still seeing her. That, that's what I figured. But then she would say or make commentary like they were together at all kinds of different times, like when... Adam was right next to me or we were I knew where he was or and a lot of it happened during lockdown I've said said this before and a couple of other talking to a couple of other people's a good chunk of this was during lockdown so no one was seeing anybody we were all locked in our own houses so so I knew those things weren't happening um and based on the other things she was saying my assessment of all of that was that her goal was more to just publicly humiliate me and that that's the assessment I came to in the end um and to cause me personally um distress she seemed to in that second period of time shift her focus from adam and i as a as an entity she was trying to split up to just me you know adam never heard from her again after that first um email to threaten her that was the last time he heard from her um whereas before she was messaging us both equally um and from that point on it was it was just me and yeah they were the they were the key themes you know those publicly saying that she was seeing him all the time um yeah attacking my physical appearance that was probably the dominant thing um and then it sort of became a bit weirder over time so she'd start to copy the posts like i had to make a decision to change the way i used instagram and i did that reluctantly not because I want to make a public spectacle of myself but because I I resented the fact that I had to make a decision based on what she was doing uh, but I did it though um, because I've got children and they have to come first so I, I made sure that you know I, I never posted about anything private again in public um, but you know I have to work and I'm self-employed and I, I need a work page so yeah she was start to post kind of copy cat posts um, and then, you know, strange things too, like I've, you know, I'm a big reader and I would be posting about <laughs> books and suddenly she sort of created an account almost identical and started doing those same things. So it was just becoming weird as well. Um, so there were so many facets to it. It was just becoming. It's a, it's a
1: real spider's web.
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, and the thing with stalking as well is the longer it goes on, the more you develop, you're able to develop this kind of language that only the two of you can understand and it makes it more scary because it's less um, easy Obvious. to prove. Yeah, and and I'd made this decision not to tell anybody, um, but over time it was going on and on and on. It was becoming more and more scary, but it was becoming more and more uh, subtle and and easier to disguise. So I was starting to become a bit worried that I'd made a real error here because nobody knows about it. She's getting, she seems to be getting more and more angry, but it's becoming less easy for me to prove. So I'm um, I'm a bit worried here. Yeah, that that's what started to make me think I've, I've got myself into a real trap.
1: And in a way, as it became more subtle, it's almost a form of gaslighting as well because you know what's happening, you understand, mm-hmm. you can read the room, you can interpret that language, but as you said, it's not a very linear line from, look, this is exactly what's happening. And I mm-hmm. imagine it also makes you go just a little bit batty, like a little bit crazy thinking okay what actually is reality and mm. the more she becomes obsessed with you the more brain space she's taking up for you as well like mm. this woman's over here thinking about you non-stop clearly because she's creating this spider's web to make you feel trapped but because she's doing that by proxy brain space is being taken up For you, and it's brain space and it's the mental load. And as I'm reading through your book, which I recommend all of our listeners grab a copy because it's wonderful reading, it's so insightful and just such an easy read, like as as funny as that sounds. But Mm -hmm. as I'm reading your book, Nicole, I'm thinking, how unfair is this that you now have the mental load of this woman's problems, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're expected to keep a diary. You're expected to have all of the screenshots. You're expected to lodge all of the paperwork. And it's like, hey, I just went through a divorce. I've done enough lodging of paperwork. I just want to yeah. live my life.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's what—that's why there's so many conflicting feelings. There's, there's fear because you don't know what this person's going to do. And, and I really felt that genuine fear. And that escalated over time because she started to know a lot of um she, she found out a lot of personal details the most important being <laughs> the street that I lived on um, and it or implying that she had moved to the suburb and it was all becoming a bit um a bit real so it was scary but it was also um impacting you know your sense of self I mean it's very easy to say um you know sticks and stones um, but when you are getting the same very unique and specific insults made about you, all the time um, it's it's not as easy as it might seem to just go oh you know who cares about that it, it does have an impact um, and make you a bit a bit paranoid that obsession yeah does become your own obsession because you don't know what's being posted or written about you at any given time and that idea of just don't look is a furphy because not looking doesn't make it not be happening and it's unfair to expect someone to not be aware of what's happening around them, especially when you have children. You really, it's irresponsible in my view to not be aware of what someone's saying or doing when you think that they could be doing something dangerous or that has a real impact, you know. Um, I write in the book that she, she even went to the effort of, Supplying a statement to my to my ex husband to to meddle with our mediation and obviously you would know in the end it's meaningless and it's not relevant to anything but the intent behind that action really frightened me you know that that she would be willing or want to impact something that is my entire life it's very important it's not just it's calling me ugly on social media it's it's a it's a big important thing and the attempt was there to do that albeit a naive one that was still there. Um, Yeah, so I think, you know, it, it, it does affect you in a lot of different ways. And I think nowadays
1: too, because we have access to so many different stories via true crime podcasts and TV and all of that, we are a lot more aware of cases where a violent act can actually be the first time someone Uses physical violence. But mm-hmm. prior to that, preceding the physical violence, is often this stream of coercive control or stalking, harassment, those sorts of things. So I imagine for you, you're clocking this spider web that's happening around you. And it's not a wildest ass- assumption to go, oh my gosh, she could physically harm me, particularly when we're aware of cases like Hannah Clark and Rowan Baxter and it would just be so scary.
0: Yeah, and I think that was something my mum was very conscious of. She was worried about that the entire time. And I think, you know, I became victim to my own gender biases as well because, you know, my journalistic work has been really focused on domestic violence and men's violence against women. And, And, you know, I still stand by the fact that, you know, perpetrators of coercive control and stalking and domestic violence are predominantly men. That, that's that's a fact, and I and I still feel really passionately about that. But probably those facts and my passion for that did cloud my judgment a little bit. You know, I didn't want to be on the on the well, women can be perpetrators too. Bandwagon, you know, that does attract a lot of um, you know men's rights activists and and all the things that I despise. Um, but you know, if it had have been a male engaging in these type of behaviors. Absolutely. I would have acknowledged that 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 terror and it would have been justified because as you say, yes, it's extremely common that the first, um, that someone can be engaging in coercive control, non-physical behaviours and then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, do something violent or, or big. So, yeah, those concerns became... Um, You know, they grew over time and that's why I say sometimes I didn't know whether I was overreacting or underreacting because at some moments I felt like, oh, God, get a grip, you know. It's just this woman just being mean, you know. Um, But then on the other hand, I was like, well, it's been happening a really, really long time and it seems to be getting worse and she seems to be investing a real lot of time into this. And, you know, the expert said to me when I interviewed them that, you know, the more time someone invests in something, the more time they're willing to invest because they've, they've you know, they've put on their faith in it now and they want an outcome. But what outcome? Anyone's guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that,
1: that sunk cost fallacy of going, oh, I've invested all this time in creating this web and wearing this woman down. I might as well keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just didn't know what the goal was and I still don't.
1: No. And in total, from that very first text message to actual getting to court and Carissa being charged what was that time span? Uh,
0: so it was about well it's been nearly it's been nearly five years so um, it was about three years when I finally got some action from the police um, but there was a there was a long period before she actually went to court so it was nearly 12 months in that time um, and it continued on in that time but to a lesser degree so obviously the police had been trying to call her um, and for a long time she didn't return calls or get back in touch with them and and she'd just be much more clever with her posts. Um, And I was required to gather a lot of evidence that was really, really tricky to do. And I think that's something that we need to work on here in Australia with, with educating people in what they need to do. Because, you know, I was very fortunate that I was able to Put all this together. Not only did I keep all the screenshots, but I was able to find a way to demonstrate and articulate what she was doing. For example, the police officer asked me, and "This was a horrible task to do, but can I create a package that demonstrates that these three horrible nicknames um, were meant for you?" So I had to go back <laughs> and sort of link together the initial me- initial messages that were from her to me. That called me these names to then link to all the public ones that just used those names. So it was um, it's a it's a <laughs> it's an unpleasant and a humiliating process to say the least, um, and quite confronting to have it all in front of you. But it, it's also difficult, and I think that some people would would find that really hard to do. Absolutely,
1: and mm. as you said throughout your book, you do acknowledge the fact that because you have you are a journalist, you have a skill set that allows you to think logically, compile data, make it coherent, package it together. But for the average person or for someone who perhaps is illiterate or English isn't their first language, that would be a monumental task. So I can only imagine the amount of people out there who have experienced something similar. And one, they don't have the skill set to actually do the detective work like you've had to do for yourself. Or Mm. two, I think it depends a lot on the police officer they get on the day.
0: A hundred percent absolutely I was very very fortunate with the the woman our police officer it was a woman that I got put on the case because she she just put the time in and and had that care factor you know she she had deemed it worthy um and put the time in but if she hadn't have um if she she could have just said well you haven't that's not enough sorry um but she took the time to to educate me and and help me get there um. But yeah, I think a lot of police officers and look, I've had a lot of people contact me since I released the book to share their own experiences and get advice. And many of them have tried to go to police and been told that there's nothing we can do about that. That's that's not enough for us to do anything about. So they're just living with it.
1: Yeah, there's Mm. definitely a strong sense of sort of dogged determination that shines through your book it's like no I'm not going to put up with this I am going to get a resolution Mm. you were actually in court on the day that it was all heard and Mm. signed off and Carissa was charged how did you feel in court on that day did you feel vindicated or did you feel exhausted
0: both I started off feeling absolutely nervous as heck I was terrified and I don't know what of. I just I hadn't sort of i hadn't come face to face with her so this was like this was a stranger to me who seemed to be able to you know has had such an impact on my life for so long um and i had sat idly by and just let it happen for so long and i had felt so much you know anger and resentment about that uh, towards her and to myself for, for just letting it happen um so I was really, really quite nervous. And as luck would have it, her case was the last one. So I had to sit through a whole day of um, <laughs> sentencing all day. So it was a long, exhausting day. Um, but look, yes, it was, it was, there was a sense of both satisfaction and relief um, when she had to stand up and plead guilty to that offense, which is what ultimately happened, she was charged and she she pled guilty, uh, pleaded guilty, um, and then was sentenced. And I was also very fortunate in in getting a judge that seemed to really recognize that crime for what it was, because she is the one that added the restraining order. Um, the prosecutor, don't get me started on the way the prosecution system works. Absolute joke, all the hard work the police officer did. To get this charge, it seemed like a few notes had been thrown on the prosecutor's desk that morning. He'd called in, he wasn't even there, um, and had very limited knowledge of what had happened, to the point that the judge asked if I was willing to answer a few questions, which took me by total surprise because I wasn't there to speak. I was just there as a uh, observer. Um, so my voice shook. I did it. I answered her questions. Um it's and very yeah.
1: confronting, isn't it? I've got quite quite little experience with the court system, but something that has struck me in the past is how confronting it is that these big decisions are getting made by people who have such low investment in the individuals that are involved.
0: Absolutely. I, I was stunned, and it wasn't just sort of Carissa's case. It was everything I watched leading up to it. I just thought, wow, you know, the, the solicitors and the prosecutors seem to being, yeah have a very very loose interest in what's happening limited knowledge in anything and it just sort of ended up coming down to what the judge felt about it that, that's what it seemed like um and for whatever reason although the judge did say that the my victim impact statement made a big difference and again that that's something that's that not everyone can can do you know she when I was asked to write one I didn't even know what one was and I was just left to figure it out so I just did a lot of research to figure out what I needed to do and, and I uh, wrote you know <laughs> three-page long victim, victim impact
1: statements. So. And our listeners can read your victim impact statement in your book can't
0: they? Yeah yeah I decided to include it because I think it's it's a really straightforward and honest um, account of of just the impact of this kind of thing and I think it's just important that people know how much it impacts you and, and for people who are going, to it, who, going through it who can relate to say it's okay to feel that way, it's normal, it's the other person that's in the wrong and you, you don't have to put up with it, although, you know, a lot of people are. One other thing I wanted to
1: ask you about, Nicole, is about anger. How did you handle feeling angry or did you feel angry, I guess, about everything that was happening to you? Because as I'm reading your book and learning more about your story, my overwhelming response was, this is so unfair and angry-making.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, I didn't handle it very well, I would probably say, um, and I really struggled with it because I have I have never felt that level of anger and rage. And, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've felt some level of it because I've been through, you know, a divorce, um, but not to this this level where it was. I had no. It's the first time ever I've had absolutely zero empathy for another person and felt nothing but anger. Um, the only one and only time, um, and that includes everything I've ever been through in my life. And to make matters worse, I wasn't doing anything with that anger because I was just letting it happen um so that exacerbated it i felt like i was i was resentful that her actions had put a little dint in something that was supposed to be in my mind or felt like it was going to be my life turning around um and having some that peace and and happiness with my new family and um with adam and of course we still ha- have a lovely life and and we tried to shut it out but it was it was there, and it came quite early, you know, earlier than I thought was fair. And then she just was able to, as as stalkers do, keep herself in the frame and in 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 our life, it, no matter what we wanted. We had no choice or say in the matter. It was it was happening, um, and that's what stalkers are able to do. You know, they're there even when they're not there. They're just there all the time. So, yes, I had. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, feeling that level of anger is really hard to admit as well, and I think you're right. You know, as women, we're not supposed to feel angry. We're supposed to feel sad or frustrated or emotional or anxious. All of those feelings are okay to say, but to say I'm really angry is is not as acceptable. And I remember I was speaking to... Um, someone about this when I was researching the book and they said sort of, you know, what is what does justice look like for you? What does it feel like? And and I really felt like I was supposed to say, um, I just want it to stop. You know, you're you're supposed to just you just want it to stop. Um but at that point, that's that wasn't true. You know, I did want it to stop, but I, I wanted some repercussion. I, I wanted there to be a consequence for this. I just I just having it stop was not sufficient. To me, and whether that makes me um, an angry, nasty person, I don't know. Um, but I just didn't think it was right or fair that people are putting people, other people, through so much torment. Um, and then all they have to do is stop, you know, after all that amount of time. I think it's they're engaging in criminal behavior and they should be treated that way.
1: I don't think it makes you a nasty or awful person <laughs> to want some level of vindication. Isn't the right word, but just to know that there is some sort of consequence, particularly when when you yourself are a law-abiding citizen, you do the right thing. You know that there are consequences. We move through the world knowing there are natural consequences. There are imposed. There are imposed consequences. Why should this person get a get a free pass from mm. having any sort of consequence? And I think that we do have to hold people accountable. And again, back to, you know, different parts of this conversation, just acknowledging that as women, it's often put on us to just be grateful and accept what we're given, accept Mm -hmm. our lot in life. And I think it's really inspirational that you actually were so determined to get some sort of outcome and to know that you did what was within your control to do, because for so
0: many years- this was mm. way out of your realm of control or responsibility. Mm. That's right. And and you use those natural um, instincts that we have as a woman um, sometimes can work against you, you know, because you you want to cre- keep some integrity to, to show your kids that you're not um, reducing yourself to the same level as this. You're also thinking about other people's kids. You know, I admit when, you know, after the court case there was an article written about this and, you know, you kind of think, oh, I hope – my initial thought was I hope everybody she knows reads this and knows, well, you know, what the awful things that she's doing. But then my mind also went to, oh, well, she has kids though. Um, what are the repercussions of those kids? You know, when when people hear, oh, your mum, you know, if they read it or something like that. So I think, you know, sometimes our 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 empathies can can work against us. But it's also important as well. I mean, there there are other people that are can be impacted by this and that's why I've taken good care to, you know, not not talk about use people's real names and things like that, because, you know, other people can be impacted by it. But yes, I was after several years of this, I was quite determined to get an outcome and I, I tried my absolute best. But I was also very, very lucky in a lot of ways. I think you're an
1: example of someone who has taken the high road but has also gotten to a point where she's just taken enough shit and she knows. <laughs>
0: that's probably a good way enough to sum it is up, enough actually yeah 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 you can only do it for so long until you say like yeah do I do this forever like Regular. that's what I was starting to think like do I just does this happen until there's some actual real damage takes place
1: hmm. we've covered so much in our conversation <laughs> but there is so much more in the book. And as I said, it's a really enjoyable and insightful read because not only do you go into your experience of having a stalker, you also go into conversation with experts and you educate the reader on different types of stalkers. Because prior to reading this book, I had a bit of an understanding that, of course, there are different stalkers theres cyber stalkers and predators and all of that. But just reading through the list and going, oh, resentful stalkers. Yeah. Who knew that there was a word for that? And
0: yeah, it's just really helpful.
1: Really helpful Mm -hmm. to have the language. So I encourage all of our readers to grab a copy. Where can our listeners pick up a copy of your
0: book? They should be able to pick up one from any bookstore, any standard bookstore that you have around, or online from Booktopia or yeah, any bookstore really. I think it's available in most places. And it's
1: a very striking cover as well, given that this is a podcast. It's worth mentioning, of course, the title of the book is Obsession. Yes. And the cover is just so
0: striking. Was that cover art your idea? No, no. Um The publisher engaged a designer to do it and it is beautiful yeah I was very very lucky when I saw it I could not have envisaged something like that yeah it was stunning yeah it's
1: dark and it's captivating and I'll make sure when this episode goes live and I'm sharing across social media I'll make sure to really get the cover out there so that people can thank you get their eyes on it get their hands on it and learn and listen to your story Nicole thank you so much for your time today
0: thank you for having me
1: Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjilung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.